Welcome to the Girl Means Business Podcast. I'm your host, Kendra Swalls, a former teacher turned entrepreneur here to help you navigate the messiness of mom life and biz life. Each week, my guest and I will share our experiences, insights, and tips to help you move your business from survival mode to success mode. So grab your favorite drink and let's dive in because this girl means business. Hey friend, and welcome to episode 165 of the Girl Means Business podcast. Now, last week I had a little snafu at the beginning of the episode. I think I gave the wrong episode number, and when I started to record this episode, I went back and actually looked at what number episode we're on. Pretty sure I made an error in the episode count, but that's totally fine. I don't even know if anybody pays attention to those numbers other than myself, but Just wanted to let you know, I do know we're on episode 165 for this week's episode. This week I'm chatting with Paige Hulse of the Creative Law Shop, and we're talking about contracts. And while that may not seem like the most exciting topic to want to talk about, it is pretty exciting when you think about just the importance and the value of protecting yourself and protecting your business. And I think that something as simple as a contract or any legal document in your business can feel intimidating when you're first starting out, but it is such a huge must-have for business owners. And I hear this said all the time when I see people posting in Facebook groups or I'm talking to clients that I'm working with, and they will say things like, well, I mean, I was just starting out, so I didn't have a contract with this person. Or, you know, it was just a family friend or as a friend of a friend, so I didn't think I needed to have a contract. And that phrase right there is what always starts off a conversation followed by the phrase, but this happened. So more times than not, people regret not having contracts in place than they do appreciating the fact that they were there in the first place. So today, I wanted to bring Paige on to talk about legal issues in our business, contracts, why it's important to have these things in our business, because it is something a lot of times that gets overlooked. This interview is also the perfect example of why I love doing this podcast because sometimes you will meet somebody and you don't even realize how much you need them in my in your life. But I met Paige, we did this interview. At the end of the conversation, after we'd stopped recording, I asked her kind of a random question about trademarks. And it turns out that in her law practice, she specializes in trademark law. So now she and I are working together to hopefully acquire some trademarks for the podcast, for my business. And I love that we found each other through a random email asking for her to be a guest here on the Girl Means Business podcast. So you never know where opportunity is going to come. You never know where you're going to find connections, relationships. And so anytime that I'm bringing guests onto the show, I want you to know that they're coming on because they are someone that I truly feel like is someone who provides value and someone who is aligned with my vision and focus for this brand and for mompreneurs. And so please do not hesitate to reach out to any of the incredible ladies we've had as guests on the show. Let them know you heard them here through the Girl Means Business podcast. They will absolutely love to hear from you. They will love to connect with you, to help you, to provide a resource for you or to work with you. But know that these are not untouchable women doing big things. They are very relatable women who want to connect with you. So please don't feel like please feel like you can reach out to them. Please don't feel like that they are, you know, behind some weird like wall that you can't attain reaching them. All right, enough of me rambling on. Let's get to what you're here to listen to, and that is my conversation with Paige, all about building out contracts for your business. I think you're going to love it. So let's get to it. Hey guys, I am so excited to welcome Paige Hulse to the show today. We're talking all about the law with your business, getting legal and making sure everything is protected. And I'm so excited to get into this topic. It's not something that we always think about when we start our business, but it's so important to our business. And Paige is going to share all of our amazing her wisdom with us today. So Paige, welcome to the Girl Means Business Podcast. How are you? 
Thank you so much for having me. I'm doing great and I'm really excited to be here. So I'm very honored to be able to speak with you. Well, thank you. Well, so let's get started talking a little bit about who you are and tell us a little bit about how you got into what you're doing now. Yeah. So uh, like you said, my name is Paige Hulse. I'm a lawyer based out of Tulsa, Oklahoma. I have been, I had a kind of uh, unique journey into getting into the position that I am right now. So Right now, I have a few different businesses. I have my law firm, which is Paige Hulse Law, and then I have um, another business called the Creative Law Shop, which I'll explain more about later on. Um, But backing up slightly, or not slightly, but a few years now, I actually started out, and you'll understand this just living in the, the region that we live in, I actually started out practicing as an oil and gas litigator. And (laughs) a little left. Um, so I, to make a very long story short there, I was one of the only women in the state of Oklahoma that was practicing oil and gas litigation. And so as you can imagine, there was just a lot of stress of being in the courtroom with all men also, uh, just, it's just a, you know, high stress job and I needed some sort of healthy, creative outlet, um, at the same time. And, make a long story short, I picked up calligraphy and it was something I would just do in the evenings when I would come home. I wasn't really that, I wasn't ever that great at it. It Therapeutic. It became almost a way I would describe it as it was almost a way. It was almost like a meditation. Like it was a way to just unwind and kind of get, get my thoughts out on paper, but do something creative in the process. And that was around the same time, which I know we've all been in this phase of life, but that was the same time of life that I think every single one of my friends was getting married (laughs) as a bridesmaid. And (laughs) so it turned into, uh, once I got more and more into calligraphy, those friends that were getting married would ask if I could, you know, just quickly do a cup, make a couple of of seating charts and a couple of signs and some invitations and one thing after another. And uh, all that to say, it kind of, it turned into an accidental business. So I was an oil and gas litigator by day, practicing <laughs> business by night. And um, it forced me, even though I was litigating contracts and helping people with business law every single day, having to apply it to myself as a small creative business was a very unique perspective, obviously. And I can get into more of that later on, of course, but I had to walk through all of the steps that I now literally walk my clients through every single day. So even though uh, most people listening probably didn't start out as an oil and gas attorney, (laughs) this, our stories, it's funny how our our paths kind of can land us in the, in a similar scenario. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my gosh. That does sound like, so I have a friend that is a, a lawyer and I know like just the time and the energy and the mental strain that it takes is insane. And then to do, be doing it in such like a position that you were in, especially being the only female in that room and then going into, you know, this, you need that creative outlet. I think that's why a lot of us start our side business. Like you said, it's just like, you need something almost completely a 180 from what you do on a regular basis to get that, you know, stress relief or to get like that sort of use a different side of your brain and all those things. So do you still do any of that? It's funny because I have a little bit scattered around me right now. I don't, unless I'm extremely stressed out, it's still my, it's still my stress reliever of choice. And I really, at this point, only do it on like Christmas cards, (laughs) (laughs) things like that. And running a business, as we all know, can end up taking more time than than you anticipate. So not something I do as much anymore, but still something that I love to, I love to pick up the, the pen whenever I can. Yeah. Well, that kind of is a great segue into what we're going to talk about today, because I think that, you know, it's true of probably 99.9% of people who start a business is they go into it with this idea of, I want to do this because I love it. It's creative. It's fun for me. It's something I'm good at. There's all these different reasons, but I don't ever hear people really say, well, I want to start a business because I want to know all about you know, like the business and the legal aspects and the financial aspects, like that's not why people start a business, but it is a big part of why you or how to get us, you know, run a successful business. Um, And so I think it can be really intimidating. A lot of people don't really know like where to start or, you know, what do I need to have in place? At what point in my business do I need to have these things in place? So I'm excited to kind of go through some of those things with you today. 
Um, so let's dive right in. I want to start with the idea of, I think one of the first things people think of when they think of starting their business and getting it sort of legally set up is what type of business they're running. So, you know, you go in, you have the option of sole proprietor, LLC, um, obviously if you're partnership, that kind of stuff, but mostly it's deciding, you know, are you sole prop or are you LLC? So can you explain a little bit about what that is and maybe why you might need one or the other? Stay with us. We'll be right back. If you've been listening to the Girl Means Business podcast for any amount of time, then you know my love of email marketing runs deep. Not only is it a great way to generate new leads, but it's one of the most effective methods for nurturing warm leads and turning them into sales. Now, over the years, I've tested several email platforms, and my favorite by far is Flowdesk. Not only do they make email marketing simple and easy, even for the technically challenged, but they have everything you need to create stunning emails, capture leads, make sales, and automate the entire process, giving you time back in your busy day. And the cherry on top is you're only charged one flat fee, no matter how many subscribers you have. So while other platforms will increase your price when you go over your pricing tier limit, Flowdesk has no price increases or hidden fees. If you're ready to give Flowdesk a try, click the link below in the show notes to save 50% off your first year. Let Flowdesk help you design emails people will love. Click the link below and check it out. I have a feeling you're going to love it just as much as I do. Absolutely. This is the best, the best starting point that we could have. Um, again, just harking back to my, my own journey. This is when I started, like, this is literally the question I had to ask myself once I started selling and making a little bit of money. I was like, oh, well, I know, <laughs> I know the legal side of this. When does it actually apply to me <laughs> as a, somebody with a creative hobby? Uh, so that being said, this is where anytime I'm speaking with any, any creative entrepreneur, this is uh, again, the best starting point because just by selling any goods and services, you are actually automatically a sole proprietor. So the state, you don't have to file anything. That's just what the state automatically views you as whatever state you live in. Um, and as a sole proprietor, if you were making and the IRS changes, their, their rules fluctuate, of course, but if you're making more than, I believe right now it's more than $600, you actually you legally are supposed to have an EIN number, um, which I'll, I'll get to that in a second, but that's essentially the social security number for your business. So going back to our options, we have sole proprietor, which again, that's just the default, that's automatic. That's um, the creative industry in particular. We, we refer to that as a, a solopreneur. It's the state's version of the word is a sole proprietor. The other option, like you said, is an LLC, which is a limited liability company. It's extremely simple to set one up. Um, it's very, very cost efficient in every state, except for, unfortunately, if anyone's listening from California, it is a little expensive there. <laughs> just, <laughs> like, just about everything, I think. Um, but an LLC is something that I encourage people to investigate and invest in sooner, sooner than they think that they should. I very rarely, I don't think I've ever actually come across somebody who formed an LLC sooner than they should have. Um, so an LLC is going to separate your business liability and assets from your from your personal uh, liability and assets. So what this means is if anybody were to, the, the common example you hear is if, um, let's say somebody, let's use me as an example with my calligraphy. I had one wedding where my, one of the seating charts that I made, they, they decided to drill holes in it and hang it from the ceiling. <laughs> and, and to make a long story short with that, uh, the wedding planner did it incorrectly and it came crashing down and like sh glass shattered everywhere. Oh, uh, it wasn't good. <laughs> it was not a good, a good deal. If I, if we, if that situation had gone, you know, even more South than it did. And if I had been sued or if somebody said, well, you, I stepped on glass, you, you know, I, you owe me for my medical bills, whatever, right. whatever the scenario you want to paint there. If we ended up in court and if a judge said, yeah, you should have taken more care with hanging up that seating chart, um, you lose the lawsuit. If I did not have an LLC, 
I would have, the judge would be able to, after we lose the lawsuit, the judge is going to look at damages. So they're going to look at how much money you need to pay to the person that the court has decided that you owe. And so if, um, if I didn't have an LLC, the judge would be looking at my bank accounts. They'd be looking at all of my assets that I own. On the flip side, if I had an LLC that only had, and I was running it properly, which I'll get into that as well. But if I had an LLC and it just had a small amount in the bank account, even if that amount was less than the judgment amount, the judge wouldn't be able to pull from my other assets. So my business assets are the only thing that would be on the table. The flip side of this as well, from a because a lot of people hear that type of example and I think, well, but what I do isn't like a photographer is a good example, like taking a picture is not usually going to result in a lawsuit, right? Uh, the risk is very low with a lot of creative businesses. What um, will catch some people off guard is what happens in our non-business lives. So for example, if you were in a car accident and it was discovered to be your fault or the insurance company determined that it was your fault, um, a good lawyer is going to be looking at everything that you're doing and all of the assets that you have, including your business assets. And if you're not running your LLC properly, if you do have an LLC, then, and that's, and I've had this happen with a client before, um, then the attorney is going to be able to, to look at all of those personal assets as well as your business. And you don't want anything to interfere or hamstring your business in the same way that you don't want your business to interfere with or hamstring your your real that's life. that's really interesting because I've always you know I've always had people explain it to me in the way the first scenario like okay you're protecting your your personal assets you're protecting yourself from you know and even with photography I mean a client hurts themselves on a photo shoot or you know like I've had people say like oh we were in this tall grass and come to realize like just three feet away there was a snake well if that snake had bit the kit like there's all kinds of things that can happen that can go wrong on a photo shoot and, or in any creative business, you know, I mean, I, I know people that like, they think, well, well, I just work digitally. Okay. Well, what if something happened? You know, there's all kinds of scenarios. So I've heard it that way. I've never heard it the flip way of like, oh, well, if something happens in your personal life, it can affect your business. And so that to me is like even more of a, of like a red flag of like, you need to make sure this is done correctly because yeah, if that something happens and they're looking at uh, so how it can affect your business, you don't want all that hard work that you've put into it to be affected by something else totally unrelated to your business. Exactly. Or even you, again, just using myself as an example, I have, I have four different businesses now. If one thing goes wrong with one of those businesses, if I get sued for, you know, whatever on in one of them, I don't want the other three to be on the tables, but like, I want everything to be protected and packaged up in a, in its own little box and with its own protection so that it doesn't affect the rest of my life and the rest of, of everything else um, from a business standpoint. So that brings up a question I have about the LLCs. And we, this may be steering a little off topic but you, because you mentioned like the four different businesses. So I've always kind of wondered when you have multiple businesses that you run. So for example, let's say like you have the calligraphy thing, but then maybe you're also doing like you're selling products on Etsy or maybe, I don't know, whatever else you're, the, you know, you're doing your legal stuff. Are you creating an LLC for each one of those? Or do you create like an umbrella LLC and then they each go underneath it? That's a great, that is a, a fantastic question. And it's, it is, um, it is relatively case dependent, of course, just because they're everyone's factors are different. But generally speaking, I'll use it. This is probably a, a very appropriate example just um, with the audience that we have here. Where I see this occur most commonly is, um, I'll use a photographer as an example. Photographer who, you know, selling their services, selling their time, you reach a point where you can only be in so many places at one time. So then you open up a, a print shop or you open up a, um, usually I see it as an education side of a business. Mm -hmm. Yep. And um, to actually get back to answering your question, um, those are the scenarios where sometimes people, my clients sometimes don't even know to ask the question of, should they have separate LLCs at that point? But once they start making any amount of, well, I won't say any, but once they start making some money with that spinoff, I call it, of the business, mm -hmm. I encourage them to, to form a separate LLC. 
So the question then becomes, well, what's that, that cutoff number I'm talking about? That's where it is. It is pretty um, fact dependent, depending on what Kate, you know, your state and just your own factors. Using myself as an example, in Oklahoma, it costs $100 to form an LLC. So with myself, anytime I am starting up another side <laughs> side deal, because I, I tend to always be doing something. Once I start making, once I start making a, like a couple hundred dollars, I'm willing to go ahead and just file the LLC because it's it for a hundred dollars in the state of Oklahoma to be able yeah, to that's have not protection. It's like, well, yeah, I'll take advantage of that. Yeah. Um, it literally will not hurt anything. <laughs> I know that I believe Texas is around 300, if I remember correctly. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, that's where it's kind of a, a moving target depending on what state you're in. Um, but we have to look at the, getting back to the root of your question, we have to look at the, the root purpose of a limited liability company. And that is, again, to create that bubble of protection around your business endeavors. So once the business starts to engage in too many separate, um, again, I'll just say spinoff forms of, of business, uh, very rarely will you be in a position where you want the liability to bleed over into the original business. So yeah. Um, again, for example, with my law firm, I very quickly, within a couple months of starting the law firm, I started selling contract templates and I immediately formed a separate LLC because I did not want any, any liability to bleed over between the two. Yeah. So, does that, does that answer? No, yeah, question? it does. Cause I think there's a lot of people who think like, oh, well, like the example you gave of like the photographer and then the spinoff of like they're teaching yeah. on photography education it's easier to say like, oh, well, that's basically the same business. It's similar, you know, that, so do I really need two separate ones? But I think it makes a lot of sense that, yeah, I mean, you're, you're doing two separate things, even though it's somewhat related, it's beneficial to have each of those have its own, you know, I, like, I like the example of like putting it in its own little box, you know, like, okay, here's the box for the photography. Here's the box for the education. Here's the box for, you know, any other businesses I create outside of that, the spinoffs, because they are protected inside their own little bubble of that, you know, LLC box. Exactly. One, one other note, I want to just tack on to the end of that, that statement as well. Um, as your business grows and as you engage in whatever other endeavors you engage in, um, this is where it becomes critically important to, and I'm not saying this just because I'm a lawyer, but it is critically important to have a team of professionals that you can work with. So have a lawyer that you can speak to to ask these questions. But also, I won't say more importantly, because lawyers and accountants like to, we butt heads a little bit, uh, <laughs> competition. but this is a point where it's it's critical to have a, a strategic tax partner who could, or an accountant, um, but again, emphasis on the word strategic, who can help look at this from the financial perspective as well. Um, because, and I, thankfully, I'm not a tax attorney, uh, so I can't speak to taxes. But um, if if your accountant is, accountant is able to look at what the money you're bringing in, um, and if they're able to say we're going to save money by being taxed as an S corporation, then it becomes very strategic from a financial standpoint to have the separate entities taxed as S corporations. Um, so taxed as at, at taxed differently than an individual is taxed just to yeah. really simplify that statement. Um, so there's an element of strategy that comes into play and it's important to make sure that all of your, your advisory team is, is on the same page when it comes to that. Yeah. So you mentioned like having like a, you know, an advisory team. So as someone who is just starting out is like, well, that sounds like a lot for someone who's like just starting this little hobby business at my home. I mean, is that something that like, are you saying they need to like have somebody that they can like, not just on retainer, but you know what I mean? Like, is this like something that's going to cost them money? Is it something that they need to invest in? Like having someone they can pay to go have advice from, or is this something that's like, there are resources out there where they can find people to go to. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey, photographers. Are you ready to make 2024 your best year yet? Growing a business is tough. You're following all the successful photographers and experts, soaking up their best advice and downloading all their free guides, 
trying to replicate their success only to come up lacking, blaming yourself when their methods don't work for you. But the truth is, it isn't you. Free content and one-size-fits-all courses can only get you so far. What you need is personalized help and guidance, but that can get expensive. Well, not anymore. I've created the perfect solution to get you personalized results for less than $2 a day. Introducing the Focus Photographer Lab, a one-of-a-kind coaching membership that gets you one-on-one results for a fraction of the cost of traditional coaching. Inside the lab, you'll find the three C's to success, classes, coaching, and community. With classes, you gain access to a treasure trove of pre-recorded trainings and invaluable resources. With coaching, you get monthly live trainings and Q&A sessions, along with my favorite part, the weekly one-on-one office hours, where we get to address your unique questions and challenges. And then there's the community, where you get to connect with an amazing group of talented female photographers who share your passion, supporting each other and inspiring each other to greatness. The best part is it doesn't come with an expensive one-on-one coaching price tag. You get all of that for just $47 a month. You can even try it for free for 14 days to make sure it's a good fit for you. And there is no contract and no obligation you can cancel at any time. So what are you waiting for? Head down to the show notes and click the link to learn more and get signed up today. And let's make 2024 our best year yet. So the great thing about, about the, just the online business boom that we've had in the last decade or so is there is so much information available online. Um, so I say that with, with a, a note of caution, I'm not saying go yeah. DIY. It requires a license and I stand firmly behind this statement. So it requires a license. It requires a license for a reason. So like, I'm never going to go try to DIY my own taxes because that terrifies me. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, with that being said, I have people, for example, come to me for inquiry calls all the time where we're able for in an hour, we're able to map out the action plan of everything legally they need to do for the next year, maybe even two years. Um, so they don't, I don't, they don't need me on retainer unless, you know, something, something goes wrong. Um, <clears throat> on the same note, when it comes to accountants, typically this, this is something that I know like my tax team says, and I, I hear this frequently when I'm speaking on panels with other accountants, a good accountant, a good accountant is going to be able to prove, um, basically they're going to be able to save you the money that you're paying them to prepare everything. Yeah. Yeah. So it all balances out. Yeah, exactly. So again, using myself as the example back in my, with the calligraphy startup, did I need an accountant when I was making you know, 500 bucks to, to, uh, do place cards for a wedding. Mm, No, (laughs) I did. I did let my personal accountant know, but we didn't need to do anything for it then. Yeah. When I started my law firm, you better believe an accountant was the first person I spoke to just to make sure everything was good from a tax standpoint. Yeah. So I would say better safe than sorry. I mean, to me, it's worth the, you know, the investment to make sure that, because otherwise it could cost you a whole lot more down the line, you know, it's, I've, I've had guests on the show that like one of them, she was, had been audited and they were, had not been doing things through an accountant. They were doing it all on their own. And she was like, it was two years of just mess, you know, and like the amount of money it cost them. And it was just, it's worth it to pay, to have it done right. And, be done, you know, no, have that confidence that it's good to go. Exactly. And when it comes to, this is one area where um, taxes and law are so different because taxes are an ongoing, obviously new filings every year. It's just, it's ongoing. Whereas with the law, we can map out a framework well in advance. And I have in my, in the creative law shop, I do have an ebook that I created. That's literally just a transcription of, (laughs) of the, of everything that I talk about with um, my own startup clients as well, that just literally has Entities, contracts, website legality, uh, every, all the things, again, that you don't even know to think about or ask about typically um, until it's flagged for you. So awesome. people listening, that's we and we have a whole free resources section as well that has a lot of those materials. Yeah. And we'll have that link down the show notes so people can go and easily find all of that. Um, okay. So let's transition because you mentioned something I want to kind of transition into, and that's talking about the website legality stuff. So 
One of the first things I know a lot of people do when they start their business is they get online on social media and then they also build a website. Um, and you know, I see, especially like, again, the photography world, it's all about like, let's create this beautiful website that has all of this great stuff on there and all this great content. Um, and then they kind of overlook maybe some of the more important aspects of it. And so let's talk about, and I don't mean just be like, I'm talking SEO factors and things like that too, but on your side, can you kind of give us some insight into if someone is creating their website, what do they legally need to have on there to protect themselves? Absolutely. So this, this is one of the areas of, of practicing law with, with online business, um, online business owners in particular, where I can say definitively, this is a law. You cannot break it. (laughs) It's not just something you should do. It's something you must do. So if you have a website that is collecting any sort of data, and when I say collecting data, that includes if you have something like Google Analytics or Hotjar or anything that's tracing, tracking people as they're on their, your website, or if you have a contact page, if people can contact you through your website, you're collecting data. Um, for someone like me, who's not techie, it's just, I, I boil it down to <laughs> a landing page that's just a photo. You need to have a privacy policy. That's, that's the document that is a requirement. That is an FTC law. Um, you can very easily get fined if you do not have one. It's now also uh, California has rolled out new laws over the years, um, as well as the GDPR. And I sound like I'm just spewing a lot of different acronyms at this point. Uh, but the GDPR is the European Union's privacy, online privacy laws. Um, and again, we have we have tons of resources on the creative law shop in terms of just breaking down what all of those mean, because I don't want to get too far in the weeds with it right now. But those documents that you need to have on your website, the privacy policy, again, and that is a federal law, you are required to have one that, um, and this is where you have to be careful because you can't just pull something free online, but because privacy laws change, like California's changed their laws just about every year, I think, <laughs> since I started this business. And so anyways, it, you need to make sure that you have one that's up to date. The second document that you need on your website is the terms and conditions. So this is, and and note the difference in my language there, you need to have it. I can't technically say that it is a legal requirement that you have a terms and conditions, but I strongly advise that people have a terms and conditions. Like the wink, wink, like it's, I can't say it, but. (laughs) Yes, I'm nodding my head so emphatically. Um, Yeah, please have it. (laughs) Please have one. The terms and conditions is is essentially the contract that governs how your website can be used. Okay, so from my perspective, where where I where I've run into and I just had this happen this weekend actually, um, and I'm literally about to email the client after we get off this off off this call to talk about it. But I had to send a cease and desist to somebody um, I'm going to today um, who copied one of my clients' websites completely. Oh my gosh! And I'm talking. It's just the most. It is absolutely insane. Like copied, bought products from her is wow. digital products is reselling them and did not even change the literal website copy <laughs> <laughs> didn't even change the colors I mean it's just the most blatant bold anyways so what happens in those types of cases when I when you hire somebody to send a cease and desist letter I'm referencing the terms and conditions because if you have good terms and conditions again that's the contract that governs your website so those terms and conditions should state that anyone using your website, accessing your website automatically agrees to those terms and conditions and automatically agrees that they will not infringe on any intellectual property rights, which includes the replication or, you know, selling of yeah. anything basically that they, they take from your website. So it's one of those documents that you hear you should have it. You don't really, like, okay, I know I should have it, but why is it really that important? And why is it important to have one that's actually strong, not just one that's pulled off the internet? It's those cease and desist type scenarios when, when randomly you're going to have to actually fall back on it. And, and you have a lawyer parceling through every single uh, word on the page. So, well, and I think a lot of times too, people think like, oh, well, like who's looking at my website? Like, it's not that big of a deal. But 
again, a lot of times, like, and I don't know about the case with yours, but I know like I've had it happen, not to me, but to people I know where it's like people have stolen almost the exact same thing. Like they've either copied the website or they bought their products and are now reselling those almost word for word, same products. And they're, this happens with smaller businesses because I think the people who are like quote unquote stealing it think, well, who's going to, who's going to notice that I'm, you know, I'm not stealing from like some big name person. I'm stealing from someone like little nobody that, but that like it it can still happen. So that's my point is like, it doesn't matter how small you are. It can still happen to you. I could obviously give so many examples there, but I won't take up our time with those, but believe it or not, it happens to me all the time, which really most asinine thing. And like, if you're going to steal from somebody, don't steal from a lawyer. Right. (laughs) (laughs) But but I mean, I've, I've had, I've been on websites and seen some of my own blog posts that I've written, like republished on other people's sites. It's like, okay, well, that's not, not smart, but all that to be said, anybody, unfortunately, anybody can get copied. I joke that, um, I joke that I wish I could invent, I could be the person that invents the like online restraining order, like keeping some people away from websites. Um, unfortunately, I haven't figured that out yet. So our best protection in the meantime is to have the terms and conditions so that we have, we have literal terms that govern what's considered allowable and what's not. Yeah. Well, and especially like, I mean, I don't know how this works, but like with going back to the idea of the photographers, you know, I see people in Facebook groups all the time. that are like, this person's using my images they got them off my website, yeah. that kind of stuff. So um, does that protect that as well? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And so, and, and stop me if I'm getting too, too much in the weeds um, when it comes to this, but it is so critically important to understand, I think this area of the law, when somebody's copying your work and, and I, I am a very optimistic person. I don't like to be pessimistic. So I'm not saying this to be a pessimist, but, but the realistic statement is at some point somebody's going to take especially as creatives we're creating things that are beautiful eye-catching that's kind yeah. of the point and unfortunately sometimes it will catch the wrong eyes um so with that being said if if somebody is copying you if somebody is taking your photos and putting them on their website things like that it, when you try to stop them what your attorney is going if you work with an attorney what they're going to look at is um, they're going to look at what type what type of cause of action they can file. So, for example, when I'm sending someone a cease and desist letter, I'm looking at intellectual property infringement because photographs fall under copyright law. I'm also looking at a breach of contract cause of action, the terms and conditions. The reason why I'm looking at both is because Obviously, we have an intellectual property infringement, but those are more expensive and much harder to litigate, much, much harder to litigate. When it comes to a breach of contract cause of action, if somebody is ripping you off and you have those terms and conditions and they are ignoring your your cease and desist letters, you can take them to small claims court. And if they don't show up in court, they automatically lose the case. And then there's a judgment against them. Um, And it's something that Oftentimes you don't even need a lawyer to help you with because it's a a smaller case, but that's just on the practical side. That's how it's one thing to talk about copycats, but like thinking three steps ahead as to how you actually deal with them when they do really ugly that that's the lawyer's perspective on, on the matter. Okay. Um, So yeah. And a couple, one other note I wanted to add when it comes to online privacy, um, two things I see done incorrectly all the time. First of all, the privacy policy and the terms and conditions need to be accessible from any point on the website. So put them in the footer of the site and they can be on the same page. So like even on my website, it says legal terms. It's not two different links. It's whatever you want to do there. Uh, But one mistake that I see very, very frequently is people, especially if they sell products or sell any sort of digital good or anything, they will put the terms and conditions of sale on their website as well. So this is where, again, not to get too nerdy with the law, your terms and conditions that govern your website are one of the only types of contracts that somebody does not need to sign in order for it to be effective. Just by using your website, they agree to the terms and conditions. 
when it comes to the terms and conditions of sale, so what they agree to when they actually purchase the product, it requires an indication that they agree to the terms. So what I mean by that, you don't need to have somebody, you don't need to like send them a link through Dubs Auto or something to purchase a print from your stock photography shop, obviously. But when you purchase something, and we've all done it a million times shopping online, you need to have those terms and conditions linked so that they click a button that says, I agree to the terms and conditions of sale. So again, a lot of major mistake that I see frequently is people just let that document live on their on their website and assume that people see it. And that's just, it's not binding. So it doesn't actually protect. So you need to have a little tick mark box at the bottom. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. Which that leads us into our next topic, which is contracts because we're, you know, we're, you've segue so beautifully into all these things. Um, (laughs) You know, I think that this is something that I know a lot of people when they start their business, they just kind of go, oh, well, it's, you know, it's someone I know, so I'm, it's fine. And then it's like, oh, it's a friend of a friend, so it's fine. Oh, it's the second cousin of a friend of a friend, so it's fine. <laughs> and then you see, you get further and further along and you're like, oh, I don't need that. I don't need that. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh crap, I, it's been, you know, a year and a half and I don't have contracts in my business. So kind of walk us through like, the basics of when do you need contracts? What do you need them for? Um, and what should they have in them? I mean, that kind of varies. That's kind of a broad question, but. Great question. Uh, yeah, no, and I did not mean to cut you off there. No, 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 you're good. I'm obviously chomping at the bit to talk about contracts, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but to answer your question, so my mentor always, my mentor taught me this and I, I steal his, his phrasing. Contracts are the seatbelt to your business. So in the same way that you, you can, you get in the car and you just put the seatbelt on without thinking about it. Contracts act as the exact same, the exact same type of tool within your business. It's something that you'll just get used to doing. You'll, you'll get used to sending it out to clients and won't feel weird and it protects you when you least expect it in the, in a good way. Um, so with that all being said, before I actually answer your question, again, referencing the, the creative law shop in our free resources section of like our free resources library, I have a document called uh, creatively titled the contract guide, which is <laughs> the checklist of every single thing. When I'm auditing somebody's contract, it's a, the checklist of every single provision I'm looking for. So that, and it's, there are a few pages to the document, so I'm not going to sit here and recite the whole thing to you because even I think that would be boring, uh, <laughs> but just so that the audience knows that that's, that is available. Um, so again, going back to my own, my own personal experiences with this, because again, I was a, I was a contract litigator when I started the calligraphy stuff. Like I was in court every day arguing. I spent 11 months arguing over two paragraphs of one 500 page contract. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, it was just ridiculous, but the same year I was doing the calligraphy stuff. Um, so once I started selling my own calligraphy work, the first, my first client was my little sister who got married. I didn't have her sign a contract because, which in hindsight, I actually would have now um, for other reasons, uh, not related to their our relationship. <laughs> I'll clarify that statement in a moment. Um, but the wedding that I referenced where the seating chart fell that was actually, that was, a, um, I was a bridesmaid in that wedding. And that was a very dear friend of mine, obviously still is a very dear friend of mine. That was the first time that I realized how stupid it was for me to be working without a contract, because if I'm just throwing myself under the bus, I did not have her sign a contract. She was one of my best friends and she is also a lawyer and it just seemed silly. Yeah. To, to, um, but what happened in that case again, I didn't hang up the seating chart. Somebody else did. And then when it came crashing down, all of a sudden, all of a sudden the wedding planner came back on me and said, you need to go redo it right now or else you're going to be in breach of contract, which there (laughs) There was no, (laughs) But, but still that was a moment where it was like, oh, even though it's just, just calligraphy, things can happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so the minute that you start, and I know this is not the fun advice, but the minute that you start selling any goods or any services, 
you need to use a contract. I perform legal work for, my dad's an entrepreneur as well. I do a lot of legal work for him and I have him sign a client, a new client agreement every time I work on a new project for him, my own dad. (laughs) (laughs) No matter who it is, you need to have a contract, not because, and this goes back to my clarifying statement about my sister's wedding, not because of the actual relationship necessarily between you and the client, because my sister's my best friend. Like, obviously that's, I wasn't worried about her suing Mm -hmm. me the wrong ink or something like that. Um, But there's always, anytime we have any sort of client relationship, there's always a third party um, perspective that we need to think of. So for example, if I had created something for her wedding that maybe somebody else thought was too similar to their own work and they thought they accused me of copying or something like that, then they would be able to very easily, and I, I'm not, I don't want to get in the weeds too much with it, but they would be able to very easily come back on my sister in that case, or even myself, but probably my sister and say, you need to take down all of the photos of your wedding that's infringing on, on my work. Yeah. <laughs> we had a contract in place that specified the intellectual property, then we would, we would be safer in that scenario. Um, so the minute that you start working with clients, you need to start using contracts. And again, it's not because of the relationship. It's not because you don't trust your client and it's not because your client shouldn't trust you. It's because there's always, there's always a third party consideration. I've had cases where um, very, I mean, and this is the, the difficult part of the practice of law, but I always have to think hopefully at least three steps ahead. I've had cases where some of them, I have a client right now whose husband was just in an accident and um, they, they both were my clients. They both are my clients, but he's completely, completely disabled. Mm. So in his case, he has a business partner who um, isn't necessarily who his wife was intending to work with <laughs> and if they had the proper contracts in place in that case, then the business partner partner would not be able to just automatically step into the business. Uh, so my point being with that, there's always, there's an un- unexpected element that we want to always protect ourselves from. And well, I think that's the, the, like the point I want people to take away from here is that like you said, there is always a third party. Like again, a lot of times at the beginning, you just, and I know I'm, I was guilty of this when I started my photography business as well. You're just kind of like, oh, it's just someone, it's just a friend. It's fine. Like nothing's going to happen. And if it does, they're not going to worry about it. But again, like you said, like you could be out at a park taking pictures and maybe a, like a, somebody else gets upset because you're, you know, doing something they don't want you to do, or you're, you know, you're the kid of your client. Like, sets his hot wheel down, someone else steps on it and that because like, whatever, like anything can happen. So I think that's an interesting point. A lot of times we're so focused on, well, it's just me and this client, but there is always, you know, whether it's a a guest at an event or like you said, like someone else online who sees the photos, they're like, oh, you're stealing my, my ideas or you've copied me or whatever. Like, yeah, you just, you never know it's better. Like, again, like I said earlier, it's always better to be safe than sorry. And to have those things in place so that it's not an issue at all. Like, get out in front of it, stop it before it happens. And it's also, it's a fallacy to think that we can anticipate every single thing that could go wrong, but yeah. we know how to protect ourselves as we're moving forward. And, and the purpose of it, the purpose of, of good legal work is to allow your hobby to become a business and also give it the bandwidth and the protection that allows it to grow and have longevity as it, as it does. So like gives it breathing room so that yeah. you're not just being done. One of um, when you were talking, one quick story I'll share really quick about when it comes to weird contract stories. I had a photographer who I uh, was taking a photo of a wedding dress, uh, just you know, on a wedding, obviously on a wedding day, and he was trying to get it the backlight on the dress. I think I'm using the correct photography. <laughs> <laughs> talking to a photographer here. It's okay. Uh, anyways, he hung it from a like one of the sprinkler lines in the hotel Mm. (laughs) and it came crashing down sprayed water all over obviously and ruined the dress ruined part of the hotel I mean it was a bad deal and so then in a scenario of 
who is liable to who and who is going to like everyone's talking about lawsuits, but but who actually bears responsibility there. And um, he, he was able to be saved in that scenario. I said photographer was a videographer, but in that scenario, there's a provision of his contract where he was indemnified. So luckily he couldn't get sued by everybody. Yeah. Um, but yeah, weird things can happen. Yeah. Well, I mean, don't hang your dress from your sprinkler line, but whatever. <laughs> That's not my, not my forte, but that was my, uh, my initial thought as well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh man. Yeah. There's so many things that like, again, you don't know what could happen. So that leads me to kind of my last question. We'll wrap up everything yeah. here, but so when it comes to, cause I know it's hard with every contract needs to be different based on obviously what you do, but you know, you kept saying that like you mentioned several times, like being three steps ahead. And so how can you make sure that your contract covers you for things that you may not even know could possibly happen? Like, I'm sure that that videographer never thought, well, okay, what if I accidentally hang this dress or not? You know, what if I hang this dress from a sprinkler head and it goes off and it ruins everything about like, that's probably not what's going through his head. And so how do you make sure you're putting things into your contracts that are going to cover those unforeseen events? This is where I'm just not going to hide my bias. This is where the best contracts are, in my opinion, a collaborative effort between a contract attorney and a a professional within the industry. So for example, um, every, so I keep referencing my business, the creative law shop, but that, that, that was formed because every contract that I'd written for myself or my own clients, I just redacted our names and converted them into templates so that those types of agreements can be available to people. Um, because I'm learning new things for my clients all the time. Um, especially when COVID, I mean, I'm not going to even, yeah. not going to get too close to that conversation, but practicing law for entrepreneurs during COVID opened my eyes to a, a lot of things. I would get calls from clients who own venues, for example, who, um, wedding parties knew that they were positive and they were still booking, they were still going through with the wedding day and they were trying to get people to sign NDAs to not disclose that like half the group. Oh gosh. I never, things that I never thought I would be dealing with. So with that all to that all being said in that instance, like I, I could have written the strongest contract the strongest, most legally sound contract that I possibly could have. And it took the insight from my client, the venue owner to say, Hey, this is a weird scenario that's occurring. So anytime I'm writing a contract, I break it into halves. The first half, I call it the the business half. So that's where I'm getting the input from like the photographer, for example, I'm asking questions about like, how, how do you store film? If you're a film photographer, how long do you, what's the turnaround process? Videographers, how much time do you have to to edit the film, how many revisions, those types of things. Yeah. The second half of the contracts that I write are what I call the legal halves. So that hits on those ter- um, those provisions that I was referencing a bit earlier, like your indemnity provision, your limitation of liability provision, your force majeure provision, those provisions that are there to provide a broad level of protection um, for all of those potential unforeseen events that could arise because again, it's impossible to, we don't know the future. It's impossible yeah. to, to assume that we, we know everything. Um, but those, those provisions can still be protective in, in a myriad of different scenarios. Um, so again, it's, it's, that's something that I've, I've learned over the years. There are a lot of attorneys who think that they can just whip out. And this isn't a statement to fluff up my own feathers. This is just a, something I've noticed working with creatives in particular, um, they can go to a fantastic contract attorney, but if the contract attorney doesn't understand the nuances of the industry, odds are there's going to be an element missing from yeah. the agreement. You know, and that's not to knock anybody again, but that's just something um, something I've I've seen over the years. So with all of I I don't even know if I answered your no question. yeah no you did you did I mean a lot of it I think it comes back to like you said like you just have to work with somebody. I mean, I think there are parts of your business you can do and you can learn how to do on your own. I do believe that. I believe that like you can learn how to market your business. You can learn how to, you know, do certain things. But I think that this is one area where it's, 
it's best to work with somebody who knows what they're doing, not just to go and Google free, you know, photography contract and download, you know, copy and paste what you find, but like actually work with somebody and be like, okay, well, I specifically work with, you know, there's a difference between like working with newborns taking photos versus a wedding day. There's a difference between like working with business owners versus working with like individual, you know, clients that are just, um, not, you know, non-business owners. Like, I don't know. I was going on a tangent there and I lost the word I needed, but (laughs) you know what I mean? So I do think that like, it all comes down to, you need these things in your business to protect you also to protect your clients. And it's, it's beneficial to have somebody that you can work with that understands the small business that understands, you know, maybe even your industry. Um, because I, I think that that's where, you know, just like in any industry, you want to have your niche, you want to have like your ex your area that you're an expertise in. And, you know, it's like, you've kind of pointed out today, like not all lawyers are going to do the same thing. They're not all going to be able to help you with what you need help with. You know, like right now I'm working on trademarking and like there's specific lawyers that do trademark, you know, um, trademark law and like understanding how to file your trademarks versus like, okay, I need someone to help me set up my LLC. Those are different things. So just making sure you have a team to help you or someone, not a team sounds a little intimidating, but having someone you can go to, to help you, that's going to help you in the way that your business needs help. Exactly. And this is um, the two notes I wanted to tack on to the end of that, of that statement, because I agree with everything that you just said. Um, Number one, and this is just the, again, this is the unpopular opinion, but if it's free, it's free for a reason. And that includes all of those built-in templates that come with a lot of client management systems. Like it's, I spent a lot of time in court for COVID cases and I just will pin it at that statement. If it's free, it's free for a reason. Um, the second note also, and just one thing that we do with the shop because, and this was, this was born out of, out of COVID for the most part. Um, but we offer lifetime updates. So for example, I, and this, the reason why the shop was created also is because I'm fully aware that people can't, if you're just start, if you're picking up a camera and just starting to take photos for friends and family, you're probably not going to want to pay a lawyer an hourly rate to, to draft a, you know, a, a contract that'll take them 15 hours to draft. That's mm-hmm. going to be really expensive. Um, so all of those contracts that are in the shop are, again, just the redacted contracts I've written for my own clients. And we offer lifetime updates. So when COVID occurred, when that venue client um, called me and gave that crazy story about, <laughs> about um, all the COVID positive people that were trying to, to come to weddings, that was a provision that I added into all of my service provider, my wedding clients, um, or my wedding contracts, I should say just a safe working environment clause essentially. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so that's just something, something to keep in mind. There are ways yeah. to don't just take the, don't take the free route. It's going to, at some point in time, it's going to end up costing you more trying to do it free than it will to do it right from the beginning. And you also don't need to, um, I mean, it's good to have somebody that you can call, of course, always. That's something mm-hmm. that you always have, but you don't, I'm aware that it's a little bit Pollyannish to think that if you're just starting up a creative business, you're not going to, you're going to be able to yeah, go afford to work with an attorney one-on-one. So yeah. there's a, there's a middle way. There. Awesome. Well, thank you Paige so much for all your help. This has been so insightful. I have tons of notes. I know that people listening are going to get so much value from this. Um, tell us a little bit about where people can find you. You've mentioned the shop a few times. I definitely will link that below, but this, you know, share with us where they can, go and find all those templates and learn more about you, find all your free resources. Yeah. So the, um, so like I mentioned, the creative law shop, which is shopcreativelaw.com. That's where we have all of the contracts and all of those free resources that I mentioned. And we'll also have an affiliate code for podcast listeners as well, which you can, uh, you can link in the show. Yeah. And that will give people 10% off anytime, um, anytime you make a purchase and we do have sales a few times a year. So keep an eye out for May. Um, well, I don't even have the dates, but sometime in May. <laughs> so the creative law shop is is one option. And then my personal law firm, like I said, is Paige Hulse Law. And that's, I practice actually primarily trademark law in, in my law firm, um, as well as estate planning and larger business acquisitions and 
divestitures for Oklahoma clients there. So. Nice. Awesome. Absolutely. Well, thank you again so much for, for coming in, sharing all of your expertise. It's been so insightful and so helpful. And I know a lot of people are getting a lot of value from it. So thank you. And like I said, I'll have all of your links down in the show notes. People can go and check out your shop, find you. I know you've got tons of resources. Um, and yeah, if they have any questions, they can always reach out to you. Thank you so much. This was a, a great conversation. I appreciate it. Thank you. Well, have a great day and we'll talk soon. All right. Thanks. Thank you so much for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. And as always, you can find any links or resources mentioned in today's show down in the show notes. And if we're not friends outside of the podcast yet, then what are you waiting for? Come find me on Instagram at Girl Means Business. Send me a DM letting me know what you thought of today's episode or any of the past episodes you've listened to. You can also take a screenshot of today's episode and post it to your stories tagging at Girl Means Business, and I'll give you a shout out on my page. I love connecting with you and hearing all about your business and can't wait to get to know you more. I hope you have a wonderful week and I will meet you back here next week, same time, same place.